The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de church people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Hi, how are you doing this morning? Good, so good to be with you again. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Michael. I am the director of student ministries here, so I get to work with all your rambunctious kids, crazy ones. It's all good. Uh, Just a quick note, you know, as Sean said, we're really excited to have uh, Joseph Germain join our staff. And he was really excited, too. He was so excited that after we called him and said, hey, Joe, you got the job. You know, he lives in Simi Valley, and I don't know how many of you guys know how far Simi Valley is. It's a good ways away. So uh, right after he got the call, uh, a couple hours later, I get a phone call from Joseph, and he's at my house. I was like, Joe, what are you doing? He's like, I'm so excited. I just want to be here at Paso and Highlands. And so he came by my house because he was trying to look for apartments. I mean, it's that quick. So he wants to be here with you guys. We can't wait for him to be here. So uh, we're excited to have him. As we continue our series on significant, going through this series of significant sacrifice for our Lent, I was thinking about what, what I was going to be talking about this week, and, and it brought me to a conversation that I had with my four-year-old daughter, Kira. I don't know if you guys know her, but that's her right up there. I'll take any and every opportunity to show how cute she is. <laughs> But she, she tends to have these conversations with my wife, Erica, and I very frequently and very often. And it's, it's, it's becoming to understand that she's a little smarter than we, let, we, we thought she is. But a couple weeks ago, well, I'll tell you about two of them. A couple weeks ago, she was speaking with my wife, Erica, and she asked her about heaven. Now, as any father who, who believes in Jesus, this should be an exciting moment. Your daughter, four-year-olds, asking your wife about heaven and what that's going to be like. But the conversation went from cute to morbid really quickly. She said to Erica, she said, uh, mommy, what's heaven? And, and my wife said, you know, well, it's a place that we go and get to spend the rest of forever with God. And my daughter was like, oh, that's so cool. And she's like, well, how do we get there? Awesome. Well, if you have faith in Jesus who died for you and loves you and wants to take care of you forever, then you can go to heaven. She's like, that's awesome. Can we go now? (laughs) Erica's like, "Uh, you know, baby, uh, you probably don't want to go right now. Well, then she starts asking questions. Well, how do we, how, how do we get there? How do we, um, how do we see, where's everyone going to be seated at? So my wife says, well, you know, I think Jesus will take care of the seating assignments when, it all, when we get there. Well, where are we going to sleep? Well, you know, what about grandma? Grandma's a good person. Wait, well, she doesn't go to church, but she's a good person. <sighs> you know, my daughter, she has these dreams of, of what it's going to be like in the future. She's always talking about the future. Last week, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I want to be a princess. And I said, oh, that's so cute, honey. I said, but don't set your sights on being a princess. You have the rest of your life to figure out what you're going to do. You have all of these possibilities. You could be a fireman. You could be a doctor. You could be a lawyer. You could be a dancer. You could be a musician. You could be a teacher. You can be blah, 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 blah. Now, if you know my daughter, she, she's a very intuitive person at four years, at, at the age of four. And so she thinks. So she took a couple of seconds, 
looked at me kind of strangely and said, you know what, Daddy, I changed my mind. I'm like, oh, really? What do you want to be? I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a, a <laughs> dancer, a musician, a blah, blah, blah. I'm like, baby, you could do whatever you want. And you know, God says the same thing to you. You may be at your age right now. You may be in your career. You may be in the yesteryears of your life. But you know, the fact of the matter remains that in Jesus, if we have faith in him, our possibilities are endless. You know, we serve a God of significant possibilities, and you are significant. And here's what I really want you to understand, is that in God's infinite being, in his unconditional, irrevocable, unending, never-failing love for his creation, you are part of that creation. And because you're a part of that creation, you will be significant. God will make you significant. Even in the boring mundaneness of your life, in the great times, in the bad times, in the so-so times, a significant God will love his significant creation. Now, I told Sean that I was going to say significant over and over, and he's counting, so we have a little wager going on here. <laughs> if you have faith, your possibilities will be unendless. You know, the Christian story is the story of endless possibilities. You look throughout the Bible and you see characters in Scripture who, you know, against all odds, did something really great or just, a, you know, they were just a, excuse me, <coughs> insignificant person and God made significant. You look at the story of Joseph. I don't know if you've heard the story, but Joseph goes to his brothers and says, Hey, look, bros, I had a dream that someday you're going to bow at my feet. And the brothers said, Oh, really? Guess what? That ain't going to happen. So then they sold the brothers, right? The bro they put them in a hole, and then they sold them off to slavery. And so he goes, and he's off in slavery, and then he gets invited to be kind of in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar is like, okay, I'm going to make you in charge of, of some things. And then the wife's like, hey, Joseph, you look good. We should, like, cook up. And Joseph's like, uh-uh, this ain't working like that. And so then Joseph runs, right? <laughs> Joseph runs. Joseph runs, and so Potiphar's wife accuses him of doing something bad, and he gets thrown into the prison and in the prison he sees two people and he tells them their dream he tells one of them hey dude your future doesn't look so good hey you're going to be restored back to pharaoh and when you get restored don't forget me well then the guy gets restored the cupbearer of pharaoh and he forgets joseph and then pharaoh has these crazy dreams like can anyone in the kingdom interpret this and the cupbearer goes oh there's that crazy dude in the prison who interpreted my dream you should talk to him and so Pharaoh talks to him, and he interprets the dream. Pharaoh's like, dude, you're going to be significant. I'm going to make you second in command of all the land. And then soon enough, years go on. They have, great, they have seven years of greatness, and then they have seven years of famine. And when the famine hits, uh, the brothers come, and they're bowing at the knees of Joseph. And Joseph goes, this looks familiar. I think you were going to bow down to me a couple years ago. Right? The Christian story is a story of people in significance. You have the story of Joshua. I don't know if you know the story of Joshua, but Joshua was Moses' little right-hand man, right? Moses was going to lead the people to the promised land. They were coming through. You've seen the prince of Egypt. They break the water, right? The dolphins on the side. It's all SeaWorld and everything, right? And so they're coming through. And they get there, but then Moses disobeys God. God says, Moses, you're not going to go into the kingdom. I'm going to use Joshua. And so Joshua takes command of the, of the armies and the people of the, of the Hebrew people. And God says, look, Joshua, 
this is the land of Jericho. You're going to take this, but you're not going to do it the normal way. You're not going to set up battlegrounds, and then you're going to charge and charge. No, actually, you're going to get a couple priests. You're going to get some trumpets, and you're going to blow this wall down. And Joseph's like, yeah, what? I'm going to get some trumpets. And so Joseph gets the priests, and they surround the thing. They start blowing the trumpets. Right? And then the walls come down and Joseph and the people take the land that God had promised them. This is a story of significant possibilities if you will have faith in Jesus. There's a story of Elijah. You ever heard the story of the prophet Elijah, right? He was this little prophet guy, and God tells him, hey, you're going to go tell these people that they need to come and turn their life to me. You need to go tell these people that they need to change their life, and they need to see that I am the true God, right? And so then you had these other prophets. There were about 450 of them that called the prophets of Baal, and they were like, hey, dude, you're one guy. We're 450. Our God will beat your God at any time, at any moment, anywhere. And so Elijah says, you, for real? Okay, let's go. Let's let our gods have a cage match, right? Let's let them go at it, right? You call your god, I'll let you do your thing, and then I'll call my god, right? And so then the, the prophets of Baal, they start dancing and cutting themselves and doing all this stuff, calling on their gods, praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and nothing happens. And so then Elijah says, all right, Muhammad Ali, also known as God, won't you come down and float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, right? And so God comes down, and he sends fire down on the, prop, on the, on the altar there, and it burns up the animal, and the prophets of they're like, uh-oh, right? And then so then they catch him and they kill him. This is a story of significant possibilities if we have faith in Jesus over and over again. Two weeks ago, Sean talked about this God who loved his creation so much and that he looked and there was no way that we could, that there was no way that we individually could save ourselves. And so this God said, you know what? I'm going to come down and I'm going to save these people. And so the word became fleshed and dwelt among us, right? It was amazing. Who would have ever thought that the God, the creator of the universe, would come and dwell in the same place as broken humans? And then a week ago, Sean talked about the same God-man who ended up going to a wedding. It wasn't in Paso because they ran out of wine. <laughs> and then... And so he took the water and he turned it into wine and all the people were like, oh, this is amazing. And the, the, the guy that was there, he made a really key statement. I don't know if you caught on to this last week, but the guy at the wedding said, you know what? Most people give the good wine first and then save the bad wine for after you're drunk, right? But you, Jesus, save the best for last. Because see, faith in Jesus always exudes endless possibilities. If we will have faith in Christ, you possibilities will always be significant. Our story is a story of people who are imperfect, broken, and in desperate need of a Savior, and yet the creator of the universe is still willing to use you in significant ways. You are significant. You are significant. You are significant. You're significant. You're significant. I could point to everybody. It'd get tiring. But we're all significant in Jesus. 
We serve a God of endless possibilities. And in our story today, we're going to be looking at how Jesus used 12 ordinary insignificant men to make a significant difference in the lives of 5,000 people. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, may your presence and your grace and your mercy and love fall into this building this morning. May we hear your word and accept it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in the book of John really quick, chapter 6. The book of John, chapter 6. We've been going through this series of significance and looking in the writer John, who was one of the apostles of Jesus. And starting in verse 6, John starts to tell this story about when Jesus arrived to this certain place and all these people were following him. So follow along with me. Starting in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, I've said this before, and it bears repeating again. When you look at Scripture and you look at the Bible, you will always see that Jesus is always in the same space with people who are most in need. And it bears no difference here. John understands that, and he wants you and I to see that, that Jesus and people in need, there's a connection there's always a connection and a correlation between the life, the work, the, bur- the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus and someone most in need. And so God puts Jesus right in the spot, in the center of the spot of people who are most in need. And we cannot miss this fact that Jesus' Jesus's whole life was about not only meeting our physical healing or physical need, but also our spiritual needs. And in the same scene, you have Jesus in the midst of people who were broken and in desperate need, not just physical, but of spiritualness. He will always be here. Your your purpose of being in this room today is not because you have it all put together. It's not because you're perfect and you don't need Jesus. The reason we're in this room right now is because we're not put together. We're not perfect. And we are in desperate need of Jesus. Not just you, but me too. I'm in desperate need of Jesus. I mess up all the time. I was at Disney World this Friday with my daughter, my family, my mother-in-law's in town today. Right? Don't tell her I made that face, okay? I was at Disney World this week, and this person cut in line of my daughter. Now, you know, God bless my soul because I almost lost it. Like, dude, you are a 38-year-old man trying to cut in line to meet Princess Elisa and my four-year-old daughter's right there. You really going to cut? You're 38, man. Come on. <laughs> right? We all need Jesus. We're all broken and messed up. And the beauty of that is Jesus resides right here if we will have faith. That's, that's the Jesus I know. And it's crazy because this is a uh, It's crazy because you see Jesus in this scene, and it's like he has this massive following. People were coming out of the woodworks. It says that Jesus, there was a large crowd following him. People were showing up everywhere. Everybody was coming to meet Jesus just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus showed up in Paso, Sean, I'm calling in sick, okay? I'm going to let you know. I don't care if I have to fake a broken leg or something. I'm going to go find Jesus. Probably Sean would probably be with me, but I'm going to find Jesus, right? Because if he shows up in Paso, I'm going to be there, right? 
you're going to be there if Jesus shows up in Paso. Even the, the winery owners will be there. They'll love Jesus. Jesus, we need more wine, right? Now listen to why they were following him. Listen, this is key. It says, John writes that they were following him because of the signs he was doing on the sick. You have to understand that in that day and age, for a person to be claiming that not only are they the son of God, which, you know, you coming around that day and age saying, hey, I'm the son of God, that was like coming around and like having treason, okay? You could be killed for that. So not only was uh, it was as strange and weird and dangerous and rare for a person to be coming around saying he's the son of God and that he's the healer of, of, of the sick and the giver of to the poor and he also is the forgiver of sins. I mean, this is rare. This is crazy. And so, of course, people are like, hey, I'm getting off of work. I'm not fishing. I'm not going to work. Forget my family. Forget my day job. I'm going to see Jesus. What about you? Are you coming with me? We're going to see Jesus. He's at the mountaintop. He's going to heal me. I just broke my leg. Let's go see Jesus, right? That is what was going on. This is what's happening right now. People are coming to see Jesus. These people understood that with Jesus, you can always expect the unexpected. That's the Jesus we know. That's the Jesus we serve. And so everybody's showing up. It's a large crowd because of what he's been doing. He has a history of doing this. In the midst of all of this, Jesus has this whole plan in place. See, you guys all think every time everybody talks about Jesus, he's all serious, right? His hair is flowing in the wind. He's got a purple sash, ah, right? Y'all didn't know Jesus was a trickster. Jesus played little games. He tried to get us to see, tried to get us to think beyond our brokenness, tried to think beyond what we can see. I like to call it a heaven mindset. He tried to get us to see the kingdom of heaven before we were even there. So in the midst of all this, he has this plan in order to teach his disciples about their lives and the possibilities that they can have in him. Look at verse 4. It says, now the Passover, (coughs) the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, I want to I I go back to the beginning part of this verse. It says, now, the Passover of the feast, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Now, John writes that this Passover was at hand. I don't know how much you know about the Passover or the the historical content of the Passover. So let me give you just a really quick brief overview. Going back to the story of Moses, when Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, look, Pharaoh, the first time, let my people go, Pharaoh like laughed in his face. And so Pharaoh, so Moses was like, look, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not someone to joke with. He's going to mess you up, Right. You should let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, bring it on. And so God's like, it's already been brought, okay? And so then there's these 10 plagues, and they're just nasty plagues. I mean, just nasty. And one of the the very last plague before Moses finally relents and lets the people go is that the spirit of death came over all of Egypt and took the lives of every firstborn except for those who God had told to take the lamb's blood and place it over the doorposts. The spirit of death would then pass over that. Now, I don't know if you can get the alliteration here, but this is a sign of a future event. 
where Jesus' blood would cover you and the wrath of God would pass over you. How big is that? That the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow displayed his love back then so that we could see it now. Now, that's a great story, but here's what I want to tell you about it, is that John said that this is a story, that this Passover was at hand. So, I mean, you, there's several definitions of that at hand. I tried to justify and look at all the different types. But at hand means it, it was very near, like it was going to happen, but it hadn't happened yet. The Passover meal hadn't happened yet. And so there's a couple of things that John is doing here. The first thing is that if you were a Jewish person and you understood the Jewish, the way they write and the way they talk, you would see this. And this would be like, bing, bing. This would stand out to you, right? But if you're here today and you're like, Michael, I don't really know much about the Bible. I haven't even heard of the Bible. I don't know who this Jesus guy is, right? Here's what he's trying to tell you is that God can work in significant moments And God can work in insignificant moments. He can work for a big trial. He can work after a trial. He can work before a big promotion or after the promotion. God can work in the happy and in the sad or in the content, in the mundane, in the boring. We serve a God of endless possibilities, and it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, God can work. And there's nothing that we can do or the world can do to stop that. If it's God's plan... It's going to happen, right? It's like my wife tells me all the time. I said it, so it's going to happen. <laughs> and I say, yes, ma'am, right? <laughs> so God can work in all of this. He wants us to understand that. God doesn't need your world to be coming to an end. He doesn't need you to be in financial ruins. He doesn't need your marriage to be falling apart. He doesn't need your life to be spinning out of control. God can work when you're happy. He can work when you're content. He can work when your life is flowing. He can work when you got a great job, when you have great kids, or when your kids are bad, or when nothing's going on, when your life is boring. God can work, and that's good news to you. That should be great news to you. He can work miracles in his plan of provision at any time, any moment, and anywhere. And Jesus understands this. So so he wants to see if his disciples, his followers are going to pick up on this. He understands. So he goes to Philip and says, Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Jesus wasn't looking for an actual answer. It was kind of like a rhetorical question like, so Philip... Where can we buy bread? (laughs) Right? Like, let me see if you really get who I am. Because later on, Philip's going to have another opportunity to get Jesus, and he's going to fail. Jesus didn't want an answer. Jesus knew what he was going to do. To see how Philip, if Philip really grasped the situation. And I want to ask you, do you understand the situation? Do you understand your situation? Do you understand your moment? Because, see, everyone thinks that, oh, if I don't hear God or something great isn't happening, then God is just either not working in my life or he's taking a little break. He's off having a siesta, right? And here's what you have to understand, that God is always, constantly, forever working in your life. Even the small little details, God, God is so OCD, you don't even know. 
I'm OCD. Ask Sean. Man, we come into the staff meeting, I got my paper correct. If we're slowing down, I get antsy, I start dancing. Like, let's go, let's move it. I'm like, I'm OCD. And God, it's much more than that. He works in every, God takes care of all the little details. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he gets it. And so do you get it? Can you see God moving? Can you see God working? Do you get that God is working in you at this very moment? And when God comes to you and he says, hey, where can I buy the bread? Are you going to answer like Philip did? Look at Philip's answer. Philip answered him. He said, 200 denarii's worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Isn't that like us sometimes? God works in us. God's about to do something great. We're like, oh, God, see, we got all, uh, God, I can't do this. See what happened was this happened. And I can't do this. It's too much. It's too much struggle. There's too, it's too long of a wait. That's too much money to spend. I can't go on that mission trip with Sean. I can't do this. I can't do that. God, we find every single excuse to avoid God's work. Some of you say, no, Michael, I'm, I'm waiting. God, come to me. No, you're not. I've been guilty of that too. I've seen God working right in front of me, and it's a great opportunity, and I know that if I give myself over and I trust what God is doing, it's going to be a great thing. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to hurt. There's going to be some pain. It's going to be tiresome. But, you know, if I were to trust God, it would be good. And I said, put on the brakes. Because, see, this is outside my comfort zone. This is not what I saw. This is not my vision for what I wanted to do. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of making, of making excuses to not allow God to work in us. See, Philip is concerned with the wages that it would take. Petty concern. Money, right? There it is. Money. He's concerned about the wages. Now, 200 denarius is about six months worth of wages. I don't know about you, but I would be a little concerned about that. <laughs> if my wife came home and said, Michael... We need to buy a house. It's going to cost $600,000. We need it today. Okay, what am I going to do? I don't have that kind of money. And that's what happens is that we, we tend to put these roadblocks in front of our lives and say, okay, we can't do this because we ain't got this. We can't do this because I ain't got that. We can't do this because I'm not that. I can't, we can't do this because we're not that. And God says, I don't care what you are. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to be a part of that. That's what I'm going to do. We tell, we tell our kids that, right? We tell our kids when they're young, you can dream of whatever you want to be when you grow up, right? You, that world is of endless possibilities for you, right? But as soon as they get up, the world puts these parameters in place so that they can stop dreaming. So that they can stop feeling what it means to be a part of this endless possibilities. By the time they're adults, they start dreaming of what they once could have been. You guys know about that, right? You're adults now. You're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, so on, right? And you start telling the story. Well, back when this day, I used to want to, or I used to have dreams of wanting to, why can't those dreams still be alive today? Why can't God still work in you today? 
And so Jesus asked this question to Philip, where can I buy the bread? And Philip says, uh, God, I don't know. So you can answer like Philip or you can answer like Andrew. Says one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five barley of loaves and two fishes, but what are they for so many, Jesus? See, Andrew got it. Andrew understood. He's like, oh, Jesus, there's a boy over here. He's got bread. He's got loaves. Let's get it done. Because, see, he's been there when Jesus has done something crazy, right? We serve a God of craziness. He will always do the unexpected. And so Andrew goes to get the bread. He's like, oh, yeah, we got wait, what are you going to do, Jesus, right? He's like, because I've seen what you've done before. Because Jesus has a history of doing the unexpected. Do you guys realize the God you serve? This is the God who has healed the sick. This is the God who has walked on water. This is the God who has brought the dead back to life. I don't know if you know this about the old, old days of Jesus, but there used to be these people, they were called professional mourners, and they would go around, and their whole job was to mourn funerals. Like, they'd get up today, and they got, I got the Salazar funeral, I got the Maria funeral, I got the Hernandez funeral, all right, let me get my black on, we gotta go, get the tear ducts rolling, here we go, clock in, right, I just swallowed my hoss. Uh, <coughs> they start crying, they start mourning funerals, right? They were mourning funerals. That was their job, right? And here comes Jesus. He was bad for business. You'd be mourning a funeral. You'd be walking along the barrel stretcher, and out pops the dude, right? They see Jesus coming. They're like, might as well go home. Jesus is here, right? That's the kind of God we serve. And he had a history of doing the unexpected. That's the Jesus we serve. The beauty is that he will always do the unexpected, and it doesn't take a huge amount of faith to believe that Jesus can do the unexpected. It only takes the faith of a child to know that our lives can be filled with endless possibilities. If you will have faith in your finances, in your relationships, in your job, in your past situations, present situations, future situations, God can and will lead you to a life of significant possibilities. So God, so Jesus takes the bread and he multiplies it. And everybody gets fed. The Bible says there's about some 5,000 people. Now, historians and scholars tell us that the word that, that John uses for men was a literal man. But we also know in this story that there were women and children. So let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the God you serve doesn't just serve 5,000 people. He serves everybody. So not only, not only did 5,000 people get fed that day, but if you include the men, women, and children, it could have been over 20,000 people that day. And not only did they get physically healed, but they got spiritually healed. That's the God we serve. And if you have faith and belief in who he is, your life, too, can be that of endless and significant possibilities. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you're willing to give your life for us so that we may be significant in you, Jesus. I pray 
that everyone in this building at this moment will know your love, know your grace, and know that their dreams in you, Jesus, are still alive and well today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de church people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.